Um, well, welcome to church, everyone. Uh, my name's Ray. Uh, I've got the, uh, the privilege of uh, bringing our Bible reading this morning. Uh, this morning's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. I'll just pray just to, to start. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that uh, you'd just help us to, to understand it this morning uh, and help us to uh, be, be in awe of, of, your, of your words of grace this morning. Uh, help us to be transformed by it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 15. Uh, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might be used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile him, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know, what the, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked him. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth from the heart, these and these things defile them. For out of the heart come evil, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands do not defile, does not defile them. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, church. Please uh, keep your Bibles open to that passage. Um, your Bibles, your phones, whatever it is, I do recommend a paper Bible. If you have, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to be able to give you a Bible. So on the back shelf there, there's some blue Bibles that are free for you to take or to give to one of your friends. So we'd love to get the Word of God into your hands. Just a reminder about that, friends. But keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking back into this passage. I want you reading it for yourself as well. Now. As we start, um, I want you to picture a few situations. The first situation is this. You're in the lunchroom at your workplace and someone's brought in some morning tea, some brownies or something, and they're sitting on the table and you see one of your work colleagues and she comes in and she picks up a brownie and she inspects it and then she puts it back on the plate and takes another one and then walks off. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two is this. One of your friends comes over to your house um, and you're so happy to see your friend. Um, you're like, oh, okay, you know, welcome. It's so great you're here. And then they step into your house, but they didn't take off their shoes. 
and you're a shoes-off sort of house. So you see them, and they start walking into your house, and you see all the little bits of dried grass and dirt, and it's just being left behind everywhere they go, and you're thinking, well, it's okay, it's just the tiles, and then they step onto the carpet. Scenario number three is that, um, you know, you've got a, a, a baby, a baby son, and you're, you're, you're playing with your baby son. You're joyfully playing. You know, you're laughing, he's laughing. You're, you're lifting your baby up above your head like this, and everyone's having a good time, and then he's, he starts to drool, and his saliva drips down, and it falls into your mouth as you're both <laughs> laughing. Now, unfortunately, that last situation is not theoretical for me. Uh, shout out to Nathan when he was a baby. Thanks, Nate. I wonder how you felt when you heard about these situations. Did you, did you cringe? Were you, were you a bit disgusted, a little bit grossed out about some of these things? Friends, I would, I would put forward that for most of us, being clean is very important, right? It is, I don't know what you, how your discussions went, for most of us, being clean is important. I grew up in a household where my mum... My mum made me wash my hand about 50 times a day. Um, it seems maybe this was your house too. I know Ezekiel shared this was his household. Especially in this season of mask and sanitising, being clean has an even greater priority than it did before, didn't it? Now, we often invest a lot of energy into being clean, so much energy into being clean. We care a lot about our physical dirtiness, making sure we're clean, our houses are clean, everything's sanitized and hygienic. But let me tell you what God cares about. He cares about whether you're spiritually clean. What He cares about much more is how clean your heart is. The answer to this question, how clean your heart is, that really matters because this is the difference between you being able to be in a relationship with God and come near to Him or not. You need to be spiritually clean to come near to God. So here's a big question. How can we be truly clean? Well, Today, we're going to get into this passage from Matthew 15, which we heard read, and we're going to find out. Just to give you a little bit more context, a little bit of context of where we've been. We're in the second half of Matthew now, our our series. Um, In the second half of Matthew, last week, Pastor Felix showed us um, that Jesus was showing people more of who he is. As he miraculously fed 5,000 people with just a few pieces of bread and fish. And the crowds and the people, they're flocking to him. His fame is growing. He's, you know, he's a celebrity you know, in this age. But with this growing fame comes growing opposition. A theme that will ramp up in this second half of the book of Matthew as we go on in the weeks. Growing fame, growing opposition... And the first thing we need to see is a religious problem. Our passage starts today with a confrontation. A confrontation. The Pharisees and the scribes who were passionate students of the Scriptures. They would study the Old Testament laws inside out. They were very, very diligent in this. People who knew the Scriptures back to front, memorized it all. They came all the way from the capital city, Jerusalem, to confront Jesus. This is getting serious. And here is the issue. Have a look at verse 2 in your Bibles with me. Chapter 15, verse 2. Why do your disciples break the the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. 
Now, there's no pandemic happening at this time. Okay? The Pharisees aren't worried about whether the disciples have checked in and sanitized their hands or not. They're, what these guys care about is ritual purity. What do I mean by that? Now, it's always been the case for God's people that they'll to be set apart, they'll to be holy, uh, different from everyone around them. And one way they showed this was by observing certain purity laws, which means they had to stay away from things which made them ceremonially unclean. For example, certain foods were considered unclean, like eating pigs, even though they were not really any more unhygienic than any, any other animals. That was uh, something set apart. The Jewish people still, to this day, don't do this. The laws symbolize something. They symbolize that God is pure and clean, so his people need to be pure and clean as well. That's what these purity laws symbolize. And the Pharisees were part of a long line of religious teachers who really cared about these purity laws and every other law as well. So much so that they had developed a whole separate commentary, a guide on how to regulate life according to these laws. And that's what this tradition of the elders is that they mention in verse 2. The Pharisees are upset. Why? Because Jesus, his disciples, they aren't following the traditions. But here's the thing. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that everyone has to wash their hands every time before they eat. It doesn't say that in the scriptures. This was a man-made rule a tradition that became enforced as an authority that everyone had to follow. And Jesus, as they bring this accusation to him, he doesn't bother answering, actually. I love his reply. Have a look at verse 3. This is how he replies when they accuse him. Verse 3, have a look. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? (laughs) Wow, this would have stung for people utterly committed to God's law. Right? Let's go on, verse 4. For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But what you say, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now the fifth commandment is very clear. It says, honor your father and mother. And Jesus interprets this as including providing for them financially when they're in need. That makes sense, right? That's how one way to honor your father and mother. But it seems that people back then were using one of the traditions of the elders to actually escape this responsibility. If you declared your belongings devoted to God, um, korban, which means, you know, devoted completely to him, then apparently you didn't need to give it to your parents anymore. You can keep it for yourself because it's devoted to God. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they approved of this practice. They approved of the traditions being used in this way. And Jesus says this to them. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Tradition has trumped God's law. And Jesus goes on, verse 7. Have a look at verse 7. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. 
their teachings are merely human rules. Friends, there is a big religious problem right here. The word hypocrite, do you know what that word means? It's derived from a Greek word which means actor. An actor. Someone who puts a mask on, essentially. Someone who plays a role, who performs, pretends to be something that they are not. And this is what the Pharisees and scribes are like. They look good on the outside. They look pious. They look righteous. They look holy. They follow the law. They do lots of good things. But what does Jesus say about them? As he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's like a husband saying to his wife, I love you, and buying lots of flowers and gifts, and even, you know, occasionally, and just doing lots of things for her, but really the whole time he's thinking about someone else, or maybe just thinking about himself. Friends, this is what happens when you get so caught up with doing things for God that you forget what, why you're doing them in the first place. The Pharisees and the scribes, they completely missed the point. And this is the religious problem that we need to be aware of, doing things for God but not loving God. And friends, let me tell you, this was me. This was me. I was raised in a Christian family. Very thankful for that. Um, I was raised doing all the right things. I read my Bible. You know, I used to read those little daily bread devotions. I don't know if they did anything to me, but I just read them every day. And I prayed and I went to church. And, you know, I did all the things. If you saw me, you would say, this is a really godly kid. Look at all the things that he's doing. But it was all a performance. It was empty. It was all for show. And... I didn't realize this until someone twisted my arm to go on, on a youth camp in year 11 and one of the leaders, he, you know, he just prayed for me and God really broke me and I just broke down in tears because I realized my whole life was empty. It was a shell. It looked good on the outside, but inside it was completely empty. It was a profound feeling that I still remember to this day. This was key for me, turning away from empty religion and turning to Jesus. I could have kept going. Everyone would have affirmed me, and that's what I loved. People saying, look how good this guy is. It was all a performance. It was all a show. And maybe my story resonates with you. Maybe you realize today that you've been living life the life of a Christian performance. Performance. Maybe it's a hypocrite life that you've been living, that you've been playing a role. Your life looks good on the outside, and everyone here in church would affirm that, but really it's quite empty. Maybe you realize that you do religious things because you think you should, but not really because you love God. Maybe you've got a religious problem just like I did. Friends, is there hope for people like you and me? People that are so lost that even as we are doing things for God, that we forget why we're doing them in the first place. That even as we do lots of things for God, that they don't please Him at all because our hearts aren't set on Him. 
Is there hope? Yes, there is. But let me tell you, it's going to take some radical, radical heart change. We're on to our next point, the heart problem. I'll tell you one thing that the Pharisees got right with their emphasis on ceremonial hand-washing. They understood what it took to come near to God, okay? Um, Think about this. God, who is utterly pure and holy and blameless, He is perfect, which means that to come before Him, you too have to be utterly pure and blameless and clean. The Pharisees understood that for humans like you and me, who are so imperfect, uh, who morally often do the wrong thing, that we need purifying before coming to the, into the presence of the Holy God of the universe. Can you remember Isaiah 6 from our last series when Isaiah came into the presence of God? He was standing before the Holy, Holy, Holy God. What happened? He fell down on his face and ready to die, essentially, because he knew that he wasn't worthy to be there. The truth, this truth really matters. We need to start here. We need to be clean to come near to God. This is one thing they got right. We need to be clean to come near to God. Jesus agrees with this. But look at what he says as he turns from the Pharisees, he turns from confronting the Pharisees, and he turns to the crowds, the people. And I think that means you and me need to really listen up as well. In verse 10, have a look at verse 10 with me. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. Okay, when Jesus says this, Listen up. Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Friends, this is what you have to understand. What makes you unclean isn't out there. What makes you unclean is what's in here. Okay? What makes you unclean isn't what's out there. What makes you unclean is what's in here. Your heart. Your heart. It's not the external, it's the internal. Keep reading with me. We'll skip forward actually to verse 17. Have a look at verse 17. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, not eating with unwashed hands. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Unwashed hands, unclean food, it doesn't matter. It goes in one end, it comes out the other end. We all know that's what happens. But what's inside us, our hearts, that's what produces our sinful words, our sinful thoughts, our sinful actions. That's what makes us unclean, which, need, which means no amount of external washing is going to help that. There's no point having clean hands if you have a dirty heart. The purity that God requires is spiritual purity and moral purity. Think about this, what stops us from being acceptable to God It isn't the fact that we've eaten the wrong food or touched the wrong things or forgotten to do the right ceremonies. It's a fact that our hearts are fundamentally stained and corrupted by sin. 
It's a spiritual problem. It's a heart problem. Tell me you know this is true. Tell me you know this is true. If, I, if you were to look into my heart over my lifetime of all, at the things that I've thought and things that I've desired, I've desired, I think you'd be disgusted. I think you'd want to spit in my face. But I think if I looked into your heart, I might feel a similar way. Friends, humans are not fundamentally good. Can I just say that? Humans are not fundamentally good. The world is not being ruined by just a few bad apples out of a good bunch. It's being ruined by the human race as a whole. Our history testifies to this. Why can't we work together? Why can't we stop wars? Why can't we stop famine? Why, isn't, why is the world increasingly more and more divided every day? It's because of sin that lives in you and sin that lives in me and in every single human in this world. It's because of sin, the sickness that infects our hearts so that we selfishly desire to love ourselves above all, above our fellow humans and definitely above God. How dare he tell us what to do? We've all done things we're ashamed of, things we know are wrong. And this passage tells us something important and actually something really confronting. That ultimately... It's our fault. Because it comes from the sin inside of us. If you're anything like me, I'll do whatever I can to avoid responsibility for my sin. We say things like this. Work's just been so tiring. School and uni, man, it's just been so stressful. That's why I lost my patience. That's why I looked at porn. That's why I said those hurtful words. It's because I'm tired and stressed. Things are just, they're just hard right now. We say, of course I lost my temper with my kids. Do you know how frustrating they are? Do you know how disrespectful they are to me? They never listen to me. Of course, what do you expect? We say, they haven't apologized to me. Why should I apologize to them? We say, I can't help being this way. It's my parents' fault. They didn't raise me properly. They didn't love me. We say, I didn't plan to cheat, but my wife, well, we haven't made love in six months. What am I supposed to do? Someone else is paying me attention. We say, "I, I didn't plan to have this affair, but my husband doesn't even look at me anymore, doesn't pay attention to me. I just wanted to feel special again. I want to acknowledge this world is broken and sinful. It's a hard place to live in sometimes, isn't it? And we all have circumstances that are challenging and sometimes so hard. And people, they sin against us. They do. And that's a terrible thing. But friends, it doesn't excuse our sin. We need to remember the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. It's in our hearts. And we need to own this. 
If you're waiting on your circumstances to improve before your friends or your family or your colleagues to improve, and then you think, then I'll be okay, then I can be a good person, I can be a better person when my circumstances change, then I I can be okay with God, then you are wrong. Because it's our hearts that are sinful. This is what needs fixing, not the world around us. And Jesus tells us in verse 19, out of the heart comes what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. This is what makes us unclean. It isn't other people. It's not our circumstances. Our own hearts defile us. And this is what makes us unable to come to God. Friends, this is confronting, but we need to own this. Let me tell you why. If we don't own this, then we will never respond rightly to Jesus Christ. When we humbly take ownership of the fact that we are sinners and we have a heart problem that needs fixing, only when we do this can we respond to Jesus Christ the way that we should. We're at our third point, how to be clean. How will you respond to the truth that Jesus Christ has said to us? In verse 11 again. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, this is what defiles them. How will you respond to that truth? We see the Pharisees' response in verse 12. Then the disciples come to him, came to him, came to Jesus and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Verse 13, um, he replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. The Pharisees were offended. Surprise, surprise. The Pharisees were offended, but why? Why were they offended? This is their response to Jesus. Well, they're offended because what Jesus has said is com- has completely undermined everything that they've thought before. It's completely undermined their whole framework of seeing this world, that if I can just perform and do the things that I think uh, are in- good enough, then I'll be acceptable to God. That if I can just do my religious ceremonies, if I can just you know, do my things that everybody else thinks are good, you know, then I'll be okay. <clears throat> but Jesus is saying that all this stuff, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, their response shows something deeper. In verse 13, Jesus says, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. In the end, they respond like this because their faith is not true faith. They aren't truly God's people. They fail to see what God truly desires. They are blind guides. That's what it says. They're blind. This passage, if anything, it tells us how not to be clean. Religion won't help you. That won't make you acceptable to God. Don't follow the blind guides, the blind leading the blind. No. Friends, today you've got a choice to make. You can go on living like you can purify yourself. You can go on living in a way which um, like as if you can be acceptable to God on your terms, that somehow you can be clean enough through your performance. You can 
try to continue to be the best person you can be. You can try and make up for your failures by doing more good things. You can give more money to charity, be more loving to your spouse. You can go to church more regularly. You can read your Bible more often. You can be a nicer person and you can keep trying and trying and trying out of your own strength to maybe, just maybe, be clean enough for God if you try harder. Or you can acknowledge that you need help. You can acknowledge that you can't purify yourself because a problem that you have, that we all have, is a deep-seated heart problem right here. A heart problem that defiles everything we do and we say and we think that no external Band-Aid solution can fix this cancer inside of us. You can acknowledge that you need radical heart change if you are to have any hope. And that is why Jesus has come. Immediately after this confrontation uh, with the Pharisees, a Canaanite woman comes to Jesus, a foreigner, seeking help for her daughter, a Gentile, a non-Jew. And you know these people, we, it's hard for us to understand, but they, they were despised people, despised as pagan, foreign God worshippers by God's people. They didn't want anything to do with Gentiles. If anyone was to be considered unclean and unacceptable to God, it was her. And look at their interaction. Have a look at verse 25 with me. So skip a little bit ahead. Verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him, not before Jesus, and said, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, this is incredibly rude, isn't it? Jesus is calling this woman a dog. But you need to remember the context here. For Jews, this is what Gentiles were, dirty, unclean dogs. Jesus is speaking in a way which was, yes, was offensive, but was actually the widely accepted view from everyone around them. And he does so not to insult her, but actually to test her, to see how she will respond. And the woman replies in verse 27. Have a look at verse 27. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Firstly, we see something here. She doesn't deny what Jesus has said, but she recognizes Jesus as Lord. She calls him Lord. Secondly, she understands that he has come primarily for the Jews. But she replies cleverly, the dogs don't have to wait. The children and the dogs can eat at the same time, and all the dogs need, the Gentiles need, just a small, a few crumbs, that will be enough for me. That will be enough. She is saying this, Jesus, I trust that you are Lord and you can do these things. And the woman's persistent faith delights Jesus. She has passed the test. Now, why is this seemingly random story here? Why is it here? Well, tells us something important. That Jesus can make clean even the most dirty, even the most defiled. 
even the most unclean. The Gentiles, the Canaanite woman, this particular term, that Old Old Testament term, which was God's enemies, the Canaanites, the Gentile Canaanite woman is deemed worthy, worthy of being part of God's blessings. And that is welcome news, that even the most dirty and unclean and defiled can be made clean. Welcome news to us today, isn't it? For us today who are feeling ashamed and guilty and weighed down by our sin. And maybe you feel unclean today and unworthy of God today. But guess what? Jesus can make you clean. He can. And the key to being clean is not your religion. It's your faith. It's not your religion. It's your faith. The Gospel of Matthew has been painting to us a picture of an upside-down kingdom. That living under God's rule means things are radically different to everything that we know. Jesus teaches some big truths here, that we have a heart problem, a heart problem that makes us unclean and unacceptable to God. Now, that's big. That's a big truth we have to grapple. But here's the big radical truth. Nothing you do can help yourself. Nothing you do can help. No amount of rules, religious practices, good works will fix this heart problem. And that's hard for us to accept in a world where we are used to being in control and taking things into our own hands. In fact, it's much, actually it's easier, isn't it? If you thought about it, if, if our faith, if this whole Christian thing was just about ticking a few things off the list and then God's happy with us, it would probably be a lot easier, wouldn't it? But Jesus demands something radical. He calls on you to let go. To let go of your pride, to let go of your performance, to let go of the things that you do, and to run, run, run to Him. And something will happen when that comes. Titus 3 5 says this He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian here today, I want you to remember something. Never forget that you have been washed clean by the Holy Spirit given by Jesus Christ. You have been washed clean because Jesus has paid for your sins. He's died for them. He's forgiven your sins. God sees you as pure right now. Not because you're a perfect person, but because Jesus Christ is perfect and he's paid for everything already. And what's what's key in this verse? How does it come? Not because of the righteous things you've done, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. What good news this is. How amazing is this? that Jesus Christ offers hope, that he offers real hope, real heart change. It's not just an external thing. This is eternal, internal, internal and eternal heart change, a radical change, forgiveness of sins and the power to start living in a way that honours Jesus Christ. If you aren't a Christian 
and you're here with us today. It's so good that you're here with us. We love having people to visit us and hear about Jesus. I want you to know this, that you can be clean too. But there's only one person that can do this. And it's not you. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Run to him. Trust in him. And he will make you clean. Let me pray. Father God, we give you praise and thanks that through Jesus Christ we can be made clean again. We are sorry for the times that we take things into our own hands, that we think that your acceptance of us is based on our performance. Father God, forgive us and help us today, whether we're Christian or not, to once again humble ourselves and put our trust in you. Help us, Father, to come to you and confess that and say that we're sorry that we haven't been doing so, but help us put our full dependence on Jesus Christ, the only one that can make us clean, the only one that can make us acceptable. And thank you that he gives that to us freely, freely out of his mercy and grace. Praise Jesus. I we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Iggy, for bringing us God's Word. Um, So now we come to our time of reflection and connect cards.